Listener Production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old. I was quite literally in a closet. And I most recently came out yesterday. I didn't actually come out as saying that I was gay, but I came out as having a husband to a brand new teacher and the look in her eyes were as if I came out as being gay. (laughs) Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Maddie. Maddie, can you please introduce yourself and tell us when you first came out? and when you had to last come out. Absolutely. So my name is Maddie Roby. I use they, them pronouns, and I identify as queer, as trans and non-binary, as intersex, and as femme. And the very first time that I came out, I believe I was in sixth, seventh grade. So I was around like 11, maybe. Um, And the most recent time I came out, oof, that's, I mean, there's little instances of coming out like in our day to day, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like sometime the cashier will be like, what are your plans? And you say like, oh, I'm going to see my partner tonight or, you know, that sort of thing. And then there are like the more heavy ones, like connecting with like, I don't know, I, I recently saw somebody for the first time in a long time. And I think that was probably my most recent coming out because they knew me by a different name with different pronouns like I looked completely different and so telling them like oh yeah this is how I identify now like um was a really really cool experience so that was just a couple days ago Madi Robbie is someone I've been looking forward to chatting with for a very long time I first came across Marty through their advocacy on Instagram, where they educate their audience about what it means to be intersex. They live in Sacramento, California, which is where they spoke to me from for this conversation. Marty works at the first and only shelter for queer youth in Sacramento. They intern at Sacramento's Gender Health Center, and they're an advocate for Interact, advocates for intersex youth. So in short, they're incredible. There are two things you need to know before diving into this conversation. I am going to use the term dead name, which simply refers to when someone says the name you were born with that you no longer identify with. And Marty says the term HRT, which stands for hormone replacement therapy. We don't dive too much into what that means, but if it's of interest to you, feel free to do some research. All right, that's enough of me. Here's Marty. Well, I want to take a really big step back because there is a lot to unpack here. I love nothing more than getting to have a conversation with someone who identifies in multiple different ways. Because what that means for me as someone who is hosting and interested in having conversations about the coming out experience is you probably had to come out a couple different times, not just to yourself, but to the world. Absolutely. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Sacramento, California. So on one hand, it's like the California bubble. It's the thing that I always hear. But on the other hand, um, I actually grew up a little outside of Sacramento in a um, 
conservative white majority town. So it's, I'm now living in the city, but obviously things have changed a lot, like just from that, like initial growing up as a queer person to now. Mm, When you were growing up, were you aware of queer people? Were they around you? Did you get to absorb them in any of your media as a child? Maybe not necessarily in my media, but interestingly enough, my one of my very close friends when I was growing up uh, had gay moms and they like getting to see their interactions and, you know, like the way that I was exposed, I guess, just to their relationship mm. from like kindergarten, which was like five years old on, uh, was actually like, it, it really has helped to like normalize the queer experience. Um, but on the other hand, I had everything else, like my parents or like my community that had like the opposite message of you know queerness Mm. uh and so yeah like things again it's another situation where things were kind of one way but like have shifted throughout time that's fascinating mainly because the majority of people we speak to you know born in the 70s 80s 90s did not have any example and you would think if you have one example of a really good role model of a lesbian couple, that that could be powerful. But I guess that juxtaposition of having people who are also close with you who might disagree with that lifestyle. Did your family have a particular perspective on this lesbian couple? And was that perspective voiced? Yeah. So I definitely remember my mom loved them. They were incredible. And like my mom had like no issues. And Mm. still to this day, she'll tell me that like she runs into them like at the grocery store, like at the bank. And she'll be like, she always has like a good time catching up with them. Um, But on the other hand, like my dad had like a lot of message, like he was a big source of like homophobia and transphobia, like in my life. And like, I started to start internalizing these messages from him uh, because it wasn't just that he would put down like this one you know example of a queer relationship in my life but it was also every example of queer relationships like there was this time that I like think I found a picture of two boys kissing and like I said it as my background and for for like baby baby queer me like I didn't know like why I was like yes this this feels good like this is right but I do remember a specific moment where my dad sort of got upset with me and like was like this isn't you know you should take that off don't show this to anybody like you know and he almost set me back in what I I feel like would have been a natural progression of like entering into my queerness mm. and that was something that like was really really hard to unlearn like the the older that I got Wow, you really tap into something quite fascinating. Our words have power, but they also can have detrimental impacts on our ability to explore self. The reason we often like to talk about those first interactions and why I'm so fascinated in getting back to who people were and where they lived and at what time in their relationships is really I'm just fascinated how those initial interactions impacted your ability to come out like, and how long that could have or would have been. At what time did you realize, and obviously we need to have a couple different conversations in relationship to gender and sexuality, but at what point did you realize, and please answer any way you'd like, that you were just a little bit different than everyone else? Yeah, this is actually a fun story too, because the first time that I realized that I was different was specifically related to like the fact that I'm an intersex person. Mm. Um, And that came... Like that happened so quickly. Like I think it was, again, I was maybe like nine or 10 years old when I first started to be like, wait a minute, I feel different than like what everyone else feels. And definitely like the word dysphoria is a word that like resonates with that experience. I also can resonate with like the feeling of just, just feeling off 
in in your body and for me like this experience of feeling like my body was like slightly off wasn't something that I viewed as a negative thing because I already like mentally kind of felt different from other people and so I had this sort of physical experience of oh I feel different because I'm intersex and that's like a that's a huge part of who I am as a person and that's so much of what my platform is is talking to people about being an intersex person and so yeah Mm -hmm. that was at like that young age I also remember feeling that way like even before like nine or ten when I was able to like fully like conceptualize it I remember like I would draw pictures of me that my parents would be like oh you drew this like wrong or like I would have visions of who I wanted to be one day and I was constantly told like like I think I drew myself wearing pants once and my parents were like you should be like you should put yourself in a dress wouldn't that be so much more cool wouldn't that be so much more fun and yeah like once I started to hit puberty is when like more changes happened and it's yeah it's it's been a journey okay so the average person when it comes to intersexuality is uneducated that's fair to say correct (laughs) Very fair to say, yes. (laughs) Uh, If you are aware, and I'm putting aware in air quotes here, you probably just think all intersex people are one of two things. They just have two different body parts. I'm guessing that's what the average person just like jumps to in their mind. They're Mm -hmm. unaware of the multitude of beautiful variations both in and outside of their body. How were you made aware that you were intersex and if you're comfortable talking about your specific intersexuality uh, definition and maybe even walk people through what the different ones might be, that'd be really useful, I think, for people listening. Yeah, I would love to Um, because you're right being intersex is like it's still this conversation that like it's only just starting to reach like social media and like the media in general. Mm -hmm. I have now seen maybe like one or two intersex characters in like different media and it's always surprising when it happens. Um, So yeah, you're right. Like most people have this idea that being intersex means having again, quote unquote, like both parts or like ambiguous genitalia. People think that it means that you can reproduce with yourself, which is a thing that happens with like fish, snails, that sort of thing. Mm. But like people love to compare (laughs) all queer people and all queer experience to critters for some reason. (laughs) Um, but yeah so the definition of intersex that like I like to use today um, is that intersex people are anybody whose body doesn't quite fit into the neat boxes of what is considered quote-unquote male and what is considered quote-unquote female Um, so typically with somebody who's not intersex you would have a lot of uh, these like physical variations, um, such as like chromosomes, hormones, internal reproductive anatomy, external genitalia. When it comes to all of these things, like intersex people just have some variation Mm. in those spaces. So some people have like a chromosomal variation. Other people might have uh, genital variations. Um, For me, my like primary experience with my intersex variation is like a hormonal experience. Um, I have congenital adrenal hyperplasia, and that means that I was assigned female at birth and I have much more testosterone in my body than estrogen or any other, you know, hormone. Uh, It also means that for me, um, like my internal reproductive anatomy is a little bit different, whereas, you know, it's expected for people who are assigned female at birth to have a period or to have breasts or like, uh, you know, like, like, 
curves or like fat distribution, that sort of thing. Like that all like never happened with my puberty. Um, that's something that I like kind of skated on by, which was fine for me because I actually started identifying as trans when I was in maybe when I was like 11 to 12 years old is when I started to like be like, oh, I'm trans. For me, that was because of my intersex puberty. I had this puberty that was so different than everyone else that I was that I was friends with that even any of the media that was out there like I had this puberty that like completely like changed the game for me because I grew body hair that was thicker than like my brothers that I I had facial hair like I had a really high like libido even like higher than like most of the teen boys that I was around because my body was sort of just like we're gonna be we're gonna like make testosterone instead and like well, that's what we're gonna give you while this did happen around like puberty for me I didn't actually find out that I was intersex until I was like 18 or so and I didn't even find the intersex community until I was probably like 2021 uh so a lot of things have progressed yeah uh, uh in a very interesting way, more interesting than I could have ever imagined back when I didn't even know that being intersex was a thing. Well, it's a really great segue because my my thought process, pretending to be naive to this community, is that obviously if you are born intersex with genitalia that do not match someone who would be assigned a specific gender at birth, then I imagine the medical people in your lives, your your GP, your doctors, would flag that information to your family. And therefore, you would be made aware of that information sooner in your life. And then, of course, the trajectory of your life, both mentally and physically, changes because you have access to that information. But am I hearing you correctly that there is a large portion of intersex people or non-intersex who are completely unaware who that information would not be readily available to them. They would just live their life thinking they were a specific gender. Is that happened to a ton of people? And are there people who just will never find out that they're actually intersex? Yeah, Part of the reason why I talk so much about the intersex experience is because I want other people out there who are intersex but have no idea to have just a little bit more information about themselves, their body, and the community that Mm. exists here for them. Because you're exactly right. There are so many intersex people out there who don't find out. There are definitely intersex people who have been lied to by parents, doctors who just don't ever tell them that maybe they had a procedure or like some people uh, in a lot of the research and readings that I've done, there are people who are 60, 70 years old when they finally find out that they're intersex and never had the language again to describe their experience, which to me honestly is part of the worst part about not knowing is not being able to tap into the wealth of knowledge and experiences that our community has created. Mm. And yeah, like you said, there are so many people who just will never find out. We used to think that only 0.5% of the community um, or the world, the population in general, uh, was intersex. But we now 
think that it's closer to 2%. And I've even heard people say that it's closer to like one in 20. But because again, like the medical community doesn't want people to know because there's a lot of like stigma, because they make a lot of their money from performing intersex surgeries. Also just society in general doesn't like anybody who looks a little different, especially people who defy the gender and sex binaries you know Mm. so many people want to turn to intersex people and say that like we are proof that you know sex and gender are not binary uh so for intersex people to become like a major point of just existence in life and society like it would kind of rewrite all of those things that we're taught that sort of steep us in like transphobia like homophobia like all of that fun stuff Absolutely. I can understand why that would be problematic for a specific slice of our community. But I also am imagining that there's a large slice of the population who have always been a little bit confused, who might fully present like myself as a man or assigned man at birth, but have always felt something inside of them was just a little bit different. And I have heard that story quite frequently within the trans or non-binary community, and also just within the gay or lesbian community. And so to have the power to know that that's information they could have access to, even if it's just a deeper understanding of their genetic makeup or how many X or Y chromosomes they have, that that could be really useful. Now for you, going through the puberty experience, was it really, it was obviously, you said this, uh, clear to you that something was different. When you found out this information, what was that like (laughs) to know that there was some confirmation around the feeling that you had had? Oh, gosh, it was so affirming. Because exactly like you said, like I went most of my life thinking, I'm not like other people. And the fact that I never experienced so many of the things that like people who are assigned female at birth experience throughout puberty and just like their lives in general, like that never bothered me like I was totally fine with that like I thrived you know in uh just existing the way that I was but I still did have like this sense of like I feel like I'm different and even when I did find like the trans community and like the non-binary community and like realized that that was Mm. a term and a label that described my experience I still had this sense of like but I don't feel like other trans people sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when I did find out that I was intersex, um, which by the way, like the diagnosis process for an intersex variation, it doesn't just look like them saying, oh, you're intersex. I received the diagnosis of congenital adrenal hyperplasia and it took me doing my own research and my own community building to even find out that that was considered an intersex variation in the first place. Wow. Um, But I was very affirmed when I found out that like I was intersex because I finally had like a label, which is an experience I'm sure many like LGBTQI plus people can relate to because finally getting that label was like, oh, Mm. this makes sense. And it made me feel very at home and validated again and affirmed in my identity. So let's just clear the air a little bit because I know there's a lot of people with question marks attached to intersexuality. Intersex refers to your gender. It is not necessarily a sexual identity. And yet, intersex is definitely a part of the community. The LGBTQI plus community is all of that 
true? Is there any color you need to provide me? Yeah. So intersex refers specifically to biological sex. And that can tend to be like, again, like anything with regard to like hormones and chromosomes and reproductive anatomy, genitalia. Intersex is definitely not a sexuality. But like you said, it does fall under the LGBTQI plus umbrella and describes this experience with sex that so many people have that is just not in the binary. Do you feel supported by the larger community? Do you think that the LGBTQI plus community is accepting and welcoming of intersexuality? I think it's here and there. Um, I definitely think that there are some people within the community who are still struggling to accept intersex people. I think, again, that kind of goes back to the fact that being intersex is just not talked about a whole lot. And so really there's no blueprint for the conversations and interactions that like most people are supposed to have with intersex people. But I've also seen the community really rally behind intersex people in so many big, important ways when it comes to like legislation and when it comes to protecting the human rights of intersex people worldwide. I really have seen the LGBT Q plus community come uh, come and like support us so fiercely in a way that like many other communities do not. And so it really, like I said, can go either way, but I'm starting to see the overwhelming trend is in supporting and respecting intersex people. That's amazing to hear. So you had to come out as trans before you had access to this diagnosis? Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, that's fascinating. Who did you tell first? So the first person that I ever told, um, his name was Brandon, and he was a friend of mine who was queer. And he was the only queer friend that I had at the time, actually. And I remember that we were walking, and I said... Brandon, I don't feel like a girl. And I <laughs> I think he responded something like really silly. Like he's like, yeah, I could see that. But like, you look really good in those sandals though. Like, and that <laughs> was just like something that I still hold with me because I'm like, yes, I'm not a girl and I look really good in sandals. Like that's it. Um, wow. <laughs> and from there, I kind of decided that like I wanted to tell more people and I started the process at the age of like 11 or 12. I was like, okay, like I'm going to start telling people. And I did. I actually, before coming out to anyone in my family, like I got my head, you know, shaved. I went to school and I started writing a different name on all of my papers. I remember at one point a doc, uh, not a doc, like a, um, teacher of mine was like, hey, I noticed that like you started using this name on your papers instead. Like, is this what you want us to call you? And I was like, yep, that's exactly it. And yeah, so from there, like I was out at my school. I eventually came out to my parents who reacted okay, but they also didn't really want to talk about it a whole lot. But that was okay because all of my friends accepted me. I had, well, not all of them, but like, 
a lot of them did and then yeah just having the language and being able to like explore my gender identity and like my gender expression and presentation that was all huge and not something that I ever thought I would be able to do or that I would even have the courage to do but by the time I was in high school I was the only out trans person at my high school and so I sort of had to do a little bit of pioneering and Mm -hmm. a little bit of paving the way for like future trans kids at that school so yeah it was a journey (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like I keep saying that like at the end of like all of these things but it really was like it was all just a big journey (laughs) well it's interesting I came out quote early in the 90s uh, when I was really officially not until I was 13 and 14 I think it's hard for people to understand that an 11-year-old even has enough agency and know-how to be able to come out or understand who they are. How did you even have access to that information? I didn't have the internet when I was 11. So <laughs> is it, was it the internet that was this like safe haven for you? Well, I will say I'm 25. So definitely there was more internet like than you know. <laughs> there was a lot more on the internet. Um, but there also still wasn't much. I remember that the very first time I heard the word transgender, it was on like an episode of Law and Order. And like the character was not portrayed in a positive way. Never. Like the character was, I think, probably like the villain of the story. But like, I remember being like, wait a second, that that feels like me. Wow. And it was, obviously. I mean, I'm still identifying as trans like today. Like it's been over a decade now. Um, but I instantly started like scouring like the internet. And at the time, the only thing I could find was like a couple forums about other trans people. Um, I didn't have the language to describe non-binary. It actually wasn't, uh, I think it wasn't until I was Eight, like 17, 18, that I came across the word non-binary and was like, oh, this actually describes me better than just being like a binary trans person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like the internet was a big help. I also c- was able to connect with other queer people that like, I think I connected with maybe like two or three queer people that were also at my school. And so it felt like I did have even like a t- the tiniest bit of a community who could like sort of guide me in my experience as a, you know, young queer trans kid. But yeah, it really was hard given that there wasn't much out there at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of hard, a lot of what you bring into the world and what you bring into this conversation is positivity. I think uh, there is an aura of um, it got better that kind of comes off of you, which is amazing and I'm sure purposeful in many ways. But you said two things that as a parent and as someone who also struggled to tell their parents, I have to just have pause for, which is you said, my parents didn't really want to talk about it and that's okay. Is that adult you talking? Is that adult you saying, it's okay, I understand now? Or did you honestly feel that it was okay back then? I think that's actually a good question um, because it wasn't okay at the time. Like at the time I was very, very impacted by the fact that I didn't feel especially supported because interestingly enough, and this is going to sound, I'm sure, very weird, um, but it's like an interesting dichotomy. But like my mom we didn't talk about the fact that I was trans. Like that wasn't in our 
you know, in our vocabulary, we, she didn't use my name or my pronouns or anything like that, but she also took me to get my name legally changed. Oh, wow. Uh, she also would drive me to go see a gender therapist. Cause this was back when that was a thing. Uh, when I was needing guidance on like my gender and experiences. And I think it was also cause I wanted to start hormones. And so we had to start, you know, that process, mm. but they didn't talk to me about it though, you know? So yeah. like, I think, and, and I think that's why I have like some level of like, but it's okay because my mom does use my pronouns now, you know, she does call me the name that I want to be called. She has come like such a long way in like the acceptance journey and the talking about it journey because eventually we did have a conversation where I was like hey if we're just gonna keep not talking about the fact that I am queer that I am trans that I am intersex which is literally what I've like dedicated my whole life to doing and talking about I was like if we can't have these conversations then our relationships aren't going to be they're gonna be like you know surface level superficial relationships and I'm like if you truly want to like know me uh you have to like get on this wave um, and I think she ended up yeah. like she wanted to, and that was something that she did. Whereas in my dad's case, he didn't want to and wasn't able to make that. And so I don't talk to my dad anymore. And that was the decision that I had to make because I respect myself more than I respect people who don't respect me. So Wow. That's really beautiful. And obviously hard. I know we're going to go back to that word. It's a journey. But as a father, it's challenging for me to imagine not wanting to put in the work to figure out how to have a relationship, but it is humbling to hear you have that perspective. Because the truth is not everyone has the skill set to be, or or the desire or the know-how or the tools in their tool belt to be able to love fully. And a lot of queer people in our community power through it and force themselves to hear their dead name every day or force themselves to feel less than or put themselves in situations that constantly make them unhappy. And I think there's power in hearing someone say, you don't have to do that. You don't. You are allowed to for your own mental health, sanity, step away and say, if you can't respect me, then I don't need to be a part of this. And I just don't know that that's said a lot. So I'm, I'm proud and inspired by hearing it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think that that can best, I'm not sure like what one word I would use, but I can, I can definitely say that like my entire trans journey has been, I'm going to do what I want to do. And whoever supports me is going to support me through it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't, but I'm going to do it regardless. Mm. Because like when I first did come out as trans, I, like I said, I cut my hair, like I was wearing, you know, like quote unquote, like boys clothes, like I was doing ties and everything, you know, and that was like a transition. And eventually I reached a point where I was like, you know what, I think that I identify more as femme and I like dressing femme and I like wearing makeup and I like yeah. skirts and having longer hair or like whatever. And so, 
I made another transition at a certain point where I was like, I'm going to start, you know, dressing femme. And um, I also did like HRT, but like I, I was taking like estrogen rather than testosterone because that was what felt good for my experience. And I've just sort of been on this train of I'm going to do the things that I want to do because this is my body and like my life and my everything. And again, I'm going to cut out the people who aren't here for the journey and the people who are like, those are the people that I'm going to give my time to. Um, And so now I'm at a point in my life where I don't have, like all of my friends are queer or trans. Everyone that's connected to me knows my story. They know that I'm intersex. Like, like I don't feel like I am closeted to any of the major people in my life. So like, I definitely can agree that like, it is important to like have a picture of like, your life can also just be good. And like, you can just be around the people that support you. You don't have to put yourself in those positions of being unsupported. Mm. When you because of what you do for a living in a, in a big way. I mean, I came across you originally and started following you on Instagram, but I also know there's a huge TikTok audience. I imagine there are a lot of young people who get an opportunity to learn from you. And I imagine, and this is an inference, but you and I do the similar thing. We create content for a living that young people pop into your DMs and they ask you questions. You've just done a really good job of painting a picture of what was important to you and your journey and making the decisions that were right for you. But obviously, if you're a young person and you hear that, sometimes it feels impossible. It's like, well, wait a second. They had to lose their dad, and I'm not willing to do that. So I'm just interested, what would you say to young people who are struggling with anything, gender, sexuality, and they don't know what to do? What is normally your advice to them? Yeah, I have a lot. So even though I've made, like you said, like the difficult decision of like cutting people out of my life who don't serve a purpose in it, I also know a lot of people who maintain a relationship with people who they're not sure will ever support them. I also understand that relationships with our parents, especially, or like our our siblings or other people that are like close to us, like those relationships, they're hard. Mm. They, and they, they take a lot of work. And I've had to get to the point with like my mom where we've done a lot of work in forgiveness in releasing our expectations and sort of just accepting unconditionally like the people that we are. And of course, making the work to like try to make changes if possible. And obviously that's like what we've done. But also I can definitely say that patience has played a really big role in my continued relationship with my mom because we both had to be patient with each other at different points. You know, mm-hmm. I had to be patient with her coming around to like my experiences and now like I'm being patient with her for like her understanding and her getting to the point of like using my name and pronouns and like understanding my experiences with gender and sexuality. Um, And so the thing that I would say to young people who are sort of going through uh, all of this is that one, it, it does really get better, like at a certain point, which when I was young, I hated hearing that because Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, but it's not better now. (laughs) Um, And like, and that's so valid. 
valid. Like that's such a valid perspective too, because like when you're in it, it doesn't feel like there's going to be a future where it's better, but definitely like there is a point where it like starts to shift and where you can start to like have these greater experiences. And so like what I would say like young people is that like finding community is probably one of the best things that can happen because I have friends who still talk to their parents that maybe don't support or, you know, uh, support them or yeah, support their identity, their labels. But if you have community around you who does, whether that's online or in person, like whatever that looks like, if you have that and you are accepted in these other areas of your life, life is so much easier to like get through with the support of that community. Amazing. My last question is really around what advice you have for parents. And I don't know if that's something you've thought about or you've been able to kind of work through specifically with your mother, but because you have an interesting component of a, of a good relationship with your mother now and not with your father, I'm interested. As parents, we can't help it. We have these children that come into the world. We want to love them unconditionally, but we accidentally start to have fantasies about their lives. Obviously, that's changing now. My fantasies for my children do not involve at all gender or sexuality, but that's not that's clearly not the case for most parents historically and a lot of parents currently. And so when your child comes to you with information that disrupts that fantasy, it can be hard. I'm a parent. My child comes out to me. I don't know what to do. What would you say to me? So I think one of the biggest things, because interestingly enough, like with my parents, um, my mom reacted really badly and my dad reacted like really well. And I didn't really understand at first, like how things sort of shifted the exact opposite. But what I found with my dad was that he wasn't putting in the work. He accepted me initially when I did come out to him, but that was only because he did nothing to change his expectations of me or his view of me. He continued to treat me, mm. you know, the the way that he wanted to treat me. He treated me the way that he was expecting, you know, like, cause he had all of those, like you were saying, like those fantasies of, I don't know, walking me down the aisle or like doing something like taking me to prom or like whatever. Like that was all stuff that like he never let go of. Mm. And that made it so that I didn't feel like he was living with me. He was living with like his past perceptions of who I was. Whereas my mom, you know, when we later talked about like why she reacted so harshly and so negatively when I first came out, she, the first thing that she said to me was that the reason she reacted in a stereotypically bad way was because she was scared for me. And she was understanding that as a trans person and as a queer person, that I was going to come across struggles and challenges that she was going to have no way of protecting me from. Mm -hmm. You know, she knew that like, this was going to be a really, really challenging journey. You know, that word comes up again. Uh, And that I was going to face again, like transphobia, that I was going to face like homophobia, that I could potentially be you know like assaulted or all of this was nothing that she could stop so my advice when it comes to parents is to to first like it is an incredibly like vulnerable experience to come out to someone and accepting that person is huge like accepting them for who they are 
and, and, and thanking them for like the ability to be vulnerable like that. Even to parents who think that they mm. know everything about their kids, there's still this level of actually like they know themselves a little bit better and you have to actually listen to who they're saying that they are. And I think that as long as you're continuing to make a an effort and like to make progress and as long as you start to move forward with this person as they are like your child as they are and not who they were then that's something that I mean that's what kept my relationship with my mom going because she was putting in the effort like she was walking the walk and I don't think that without that I, we could be where we're at today. What a beautiful note to end on, especially as a parent. I think we always want to believe as parents that we understand our children fully, especially because when they're younger, they need you so intensely. You often hear parents say, I know better. I have more experience. I'm the adult. And you just brought into perspective the reality that there's a script going on inside of your child's head that you do not have access to. It doesn't get emailed to you each day. You don't actually know all of the thoughts. So you might see how they're moving through the world, but you're not ever, truly ever are you going to have access to that script unless you ask. And so if you can appreciate and accept that them speaking to you is the only access you have to that script, I think the safer and better you are off if the goal is to have a long relationship with your child. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking time to share your story. Um, I appreciate you being open and honest and I am excited for people to get to hear this exact conversation. So thank you and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus18youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps, producer Lindsay Green, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and audio producer Chris Marsh. Listener.